Welcome to Discover Healthier. Everything you need to know about health brought to you by Discovery Health. I'm Azania Musaka. You can join the conversation as we explore some of the most pressing matters in the healthcare environment today. A wide variety of topics and specialist guests will empower you to care for your health now and in the future. Are you planning a baby? Are you pregnant or a new mom or dad? Well, this podcast is just for you. We're bringing you all that you should know about two fascinating realities when it comes to parenting a new child. First, we'll look at a concept called the first 1,000 days, the time from conception to age two. This is a time of phenomenal opportunity. What happens to a child in the first 1,000 days affects their mental, physical, and emotional potential for the rest of their lives. Then, we also explore the notion of perinatal depression to deeply understand why so many women struggle with this condition during and after pregnancy and how to support the mothers out there. Well, joining me is psychologist Catherine Frost, and she's here to explain how critical the emotional development of children during the first 1,000 days is. We're going to explore the incredible capacity and the resilience of a child's brain during this time and share what parents actually need to know about giving their children the very best chance at a secure emotional foundation, one with long-lasting effects into adulthood. And Catherine works in private practice, but she is also the executive director of the Ububele Educational and Psychotherapy Trust. And for the past 10 years, um, she's managed Ububele's parent and child program. Catherine, really, it is a pleasure to have you here. Um, and I know that with every opportunity you get, um, you, the opportunity you grab it to talk about the significance and the importance of the first 1,000 days. Um, what is this concept? What does it refer to and why is it important? Firstly, thank you so very much for having me and for giving me that opportunity. You're absolutely right. I do grab every opportunity to advocate for the first 1,000 days and the message of hope, really, that the first 1,000 days offer. Just to clarify, the first 1,000 days refers to the time from conception until the baby's second birthday. So if you add that up, it's actually 1,001 days. And what researchers have really shown us is that the human infant brain is particularly plastic. I'll explain more what I mean by that in this period of time. It's an incredible opportunity for learning and for development. And the brain, through various experiences, grows, develops, is nuanced in the first 1,000 days, has a tremendous capacity for recovery. And we don't see a window like this again until adolescence. So it's a critical period where if we are getting things right, we can lay the foundations for all other areas of a child's development. If we get things a little bit wrong, there's an opportunity if we catch it early enough to remedy what is wrong. And Really, there is just a chance to lay foundations on which everything else is based. Everything else. So Everything else. The quality of life uh, from a physiological perspective, a lot of it is informed by 
that early period? Very much so. Everything from your physical development, your emotional development, mm. uh, the relationships that you will choose later on in your life, how you will manage in school, your choices of peers, your life choice partner, um, your vulnerability to addictions, mental health difficulties. It is such a precarious period and I really like to reframe it as a period of tremendous hope, not so much vulnerability, but of course, the other side of the coin is also true that it is such a period of, of vulnerability where babies are susceptible to some of the stresses, toxic stresses of life. I want to get to that, but I want to also now shine a light on uh, your experience as the head of Ububele's uh, Parent and Child Program, and of course in your private practice as well. What have these experiences taught you? Let me first take the opportunity to really say what our program is. Ububele has as its focus the mental health and well-being of children under the age of 10 and with a particular focus on the first 1,000 days because, as I've just explained, if we get things right and stable at the very beginning, then children have a better chance. So Ububele's programs have really developed with this knowledge. Our programs are based on attachment theory and one or other program has relationships at the centre supporting relationships between babies and their parents, supporting relationships between children and their siblings, supporting family relationships. And we do all of this as our contribution to making a, a stable, secure South African society because if we can get it right with our very young children, mm -hmm. then we've got a chance to make a difference. Mm, in the adults that will be you know, uh, the future of the country. Absolutely. Yes. You touched on the, the stresses. So can we now drill a little bit further into that? What's the difference between the form of stress that children will encounter, that children will face? It's a very important question. I think a lot of people who have recently heard that they are pregnant and will read a lot of information in, in magazines and um, on social media about how critically important it is that mothers are well and that they protect themselves and don't undergo too much stress uh, in order to mm -hmm. give the best to their child. Now, part of that is true, of course. Your nutrition is really important. It's important that you uh, and Dr. Peterson will be able to speak more specifically on I know she's one of your guests, um, about the nutritional needs of a pregnant mom and how the baby is dependent on the mother's nutritional system. Yes. I'm much more interested in levels of mental health challenge and the levels of stress. And as I was saying, there's a lot of pressure for mothers to get things perfectly right. And of course, that's impossible. Mm. And in fact, not even what we want. A certain amount, good enough levels of ordinary stress are good for mom and are good for baby. So, I think that's the message to moms. Please don't get too... So shouldn't um, put them in cotton Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. When we talk about stress, we're really making a differentiation between toxic stress. And these are levels where there is chronic, sustained stress, where levels of cortisol, the stress hormone in the mom, are so high and chronically high that they actually are transferred in utero. And research is showing us that chronically high levels of cortisol stress hormones in the baby affect babies development. You might see a more uh, niggly baby afterwards. You might see a baby with a vulnerability to uh, colic. You might see babies with vulnerabilities to mental health difficulties later on. Mm -hmm. um, you might even see links to babies' physiological development as well. So toxic stress are things like 
like being in, in an abusive relationship, yes. like experiencing a trauma or multiple traumas, like being involved in, an, in a car accident or something like that. Things that can really unsettle the, the physiology of the person. Mm. And in that situation, it's really important to be able to receive some help. Mm. Really, the message is to, if there are chronic situations of domestic violence, that the impact of that on the unborn baby has been documented. So it's the levels of toxic stress that we really wanting to reduce within the pregnant period. It's so fascinating that you will find um, ancient traditions or in different societies, this notion of making sure that a mother doesn't go through too much stress during a pregnancy, even though it might not have been backed by scientific evidence. But, you know, many societies do believe that this is a very delicate period and not just for to be able to see through the pregnancy, but in terms of how the child will emerge. 100%. In fact, I've just come from a supervision now at um, Ububele with my team of home visitors mm-hmm. who visit moms with babies um, under the age of one year. And we were talking about cultural practices that really are so many cultures share about dealing with grief and loss or miscarriage or terminations of pregnancies, dealing with those before the new baby comes so that the mom mm-hmm. has space in her own mind and in her own body for the new baby that's coming. And I think you're absolutely right. There are traditions in all cultures to prepare and protect the newborn, unborn baby. What about mothers that are experiencing depression? What effect does that have on the unborn baby? It's such an interesting thing to speak about. The effects of depression, postnatal, prenatal, perinatal depression do have an impact on the baby. And the way that I like to really explain it is just to help people think about what it feels like, if you are someone who has suffered from depression, what it feels like to be depressed Mm. and how that feeling manifests itself in your tone of voice, in the animation or lack thereof in your face, the animation lack thereof in your voice, your preference to not interact with people and irritability. And you imagine that in the experience of a mother and a baby and the baby is absolutely looking towards the mother for an aliveness that reflects how he or she is feeling baby learns through the face of their parent and if the face and physiology of that parent is depressed you can understand how that impacts literally on the baby's mm-hmm. state of mind their, their sense of self you know a mother who's preoccupied by her own depression might not be able to respond to a child crying or calling or communicating and so baby then internalizes that, you know, I'm not being heard or I'm not worthy of being heard. And I think that's why health professionals, mental health professionals across the world value and reinforce the notion that pre post perinatal depression is diagnosed and treated timelessly because the consequences for the baby are dire. You talk about the work that you do being based on attachment theory, the importance of the figures that baby attaches to. What have you what are the insights you've gained through the Ububella Parent Program? Babies learn 
through relationships. And I think this is the message again of the first 1,000 days. At the core of it is love. And it sounds very unscientific, <laughs> but I went to a fascinating talk with somebody who said, actually, all you need is love. And of course, that's a massive oversimplification. He was a researcher, by the way. Mm. And what he's really saying is that if a baby is born into an environment where their needs are met, they're responded to sensitively, they are loved, they have an experience of being responded to, that can be internalized into their self-esteem, their physical resilience, their health. And that's really at the basis of our work. Our work is for people that are finding it difficult to bond or attach with their babies. And there's so many reasons why people struggle in our modern society. We try and help them, both babies and parents, get back onto that trajectory of finding each other, of building a secure relationship. Mm-hmm. In relation to your question as well, human infants have a capacity to form attachments with several adults or caregivers, could could even be a a child, but not too many. And that's an important message as well. So if there's a postnatally depressed mom, please don't despair. I think that's the message. It's important that baby has a somebody Mm. who who is more well until mom is able to recover somewhat. Babies have that capacity. They can take in from those other people. So in our work, we would definitely look at where are the strong functional relationships and how can we support those for the growing baby's development while the vulnerable parent gets the support that they need? Do you have a sense how many figures a baby can attach to or the significant relationships? Yeah. It's about five. Beyond that, which is why research is really showing children's homes where the ratio of child to caregiver mm. is too high. Children simply don't get what they need in order to build a secure attachment. So let's put the focus back on the baby. What happens in a baby's body and a baby's brain when they experience good, challenging stress that they need for resilience in life. If I can go back a little bit um, to actually explain how a baby's brain develops, and I think this is why the first 1,000 days is so very critical. A human baby is born with more brain cells than you and me, Hmm. and that's not what is the issue. From that point, those neuronal pathways that are used are the ones that are reinforced. And the ones that aren't used in critical periods are then pruned away or are, you know, cut off and disappear. Hmm. So if you imagine a baby, a newborn baby, has an experience of hunger and communicates that through crying and then has an experience of their caregiver, their mother, coming, uh, offering a breast, stroking baby's hair, looking into baby's eyes, this happens and then baby feels good. Hmm. This happens once in a day and then twice in a day and then 10 times, 20 times in a day, 100 times in a week, 1,000 times within a month, and so on and so on. Mm. A baby starts to learn, and these neuronal pathways are firing, that if I communicate this, I'm going to receive that. They develop a capacity to wait, to anticipate, to expect, to be able to hold on to themselves until that satisfying feed comes. And that's a useful example to describe how brain development works. So if a baby, say, is learning about 
crawling and wants to reach that ball over there. Now, it's quite frustrating. You know, you're not quite, you don't quite have the ability. You don't know how to coordinate your arms and your legs. You want to get there. It's frustrating. You might even cry. You might bang your head a bit. You might give up. And then slowly you learn how to coordinate your arms and your legs together. You move across the room. You grab the ball. And there is an amazing sense of satisfaction in learning and having accomplished something. And in the same way, if baby has the capacity to reach for their bottle and is able to reach it and brings it Mm. to their own mouth and has a feeling of being able to satisfy themselves, that's the kind of stress. Frustration. Frustration is a necessary part of human development as long as it's within the zone of what is achievable. To frustrate a child beyond what is achievable, of course, isn't ideal. So we're talking about optimal levels of frustration and then being able to meet that frustration, challenge it, overcome it. And in the meantime, the neuronal pathways that are being fired about my own sense of competence, about my body in space, about I grip my hand like that, I'm able to pick up the ball. Or if I stroke mom's face in a certain way, her eyes glint in that way that I love so much. This is the learnings of human behavior that we as grown-ups just take for granted. And the foundations of all of these things that we as grown-ups know about how we love each other, how we connect with other human beings are all established in neuronal pathways through interactions with our significant others in the first 1,000 days. So let's contrast that then to what happens inside a baby, their body, their brain, when they experience toxic stress. The toxic stress, as I said earlier, in utero, there's literally a physiological component of that. The cortisol crosses the boundary of the mother's body into the baby's body. So physiologically, Mm -hmm. there will be an impact of that level of toxic stress on the baby's physiology. And a physiology with high levels of cortisol will be compromised. Again, Dr. Peterson will be able to speak specifically about how, but in my experience, it's really around areas of regulation, and that means a a child that is particularly difficult to soothe, uh, a child that is just very, very niggly, their neurological system is just that much more on alert, Mm -hmm. if you can think about it. That's what cortisol does. It gives us that fight, flight, or freeze instinct. There's something, danger is coming, danger. And if you perpetually frightened Mm -hmm. or worried about what's coming around the corner, even as a baby, you are preoccupied with that and you aren't able to look around you and learn. So there's a preoccupation with fear, danger, and a preservation of the self Mm -hmm. and not an ability to really look around and learn. Love. Play with the breast or play reaching over to that ball, like I was saying, in many ways a human infant needs to be relatively relaxed in a good enough space Mm. to be able to engage with the world. So that's in utero. If you think later on, if the baby is actually physically separated from their caregivers, like I explained about postnatal stress, postnatal depression, toxic stress preoccupies the parent. And a human infant is totally dependent on the significant grown-ups around them to help them manage their world. And if that grown-up is suffering, preoccupied, Mm. terribly, terribly anxious, 
they don't have space or capacity to be able to occupy that function for the child. So then the baby has to fall on the immature resources that they themselves have and we're going to see consequences. We might see failure to thrive in the baby where baby just isn't growing. We might see infantile depression, which is very much a thing. Mm. We might see a whole range of behavioral difficulties that might manifest in the body, all sorts of things. Yes, yes. And of course, later in life into adulthood, teenagehood, of course, many other things may start to present. Of course. What is infantile depression? Well, it's as the as the word suggests, it's a baby that is depressed, and a baby that is depressed will choose not to seek out their person. They might their um, appetite would be affected, irritability, sleeping too much, sleeping too little. Critically, it would be social contact avoidance. So, a baby mm. that prefers to look away from a person looking at them, and you can understand why a baby might get depressed. If their caregiving system, if they're, and I'm talking now their system, not just their one caregiver, yes. if there's no light, if there's no attachment relationship that drives them towards life and building a security of attachment. So it's the beginnings of, of entropy. Neglected children often look like this, they're, and they tend to be more diminutive, smaller, mm-hmm. and make much less social contact. Right. Oh just breaks my heart. So what do moms then need to know? What do we need to know, especially pertaining to during pregnancy, about optimizing our baby's neurological development? I think parents need to know. I really like to include fathers here. There's such amazing research, and again, it's research of hope, Mm. that with the presence of a father, a benign father, of course, not an abusive father, the presence of a father, children do better. And there's research, people can look up Sonke Gender Justice's research, And it's such an important message to really include fathers in this domain that I think more and more fathers are becoming involved in and we must advocate for that. What moms need to remember is to include fathers and what moms need to remember as well is that they do need to look after themselves but not wrap themselves up in cotton wool Mm -hmm. that if there is any perinatal, prenatal, postnatal depression, they really should seek some help. Not just because of what can happen for baby, but also because there's something reciprocally so positive that can happen if a parent is alive and alert to it. The message is really of hope that parents have this phenomenal opportunity to set up the foundations for their child's Mm. optimal development. And I haven't met a parent who doesn't wish for that for their child. But it doesn't mean getting it perfectly right. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Perfection, in fact, can have seriously adverse effects. What we are wanting... can be a source of stress in itself. 100%. What we are wanting is good enough parenting. Mm. And that's what babies need. (laughs) Um, I suspect that in order to form that bond or to start to be very conscious of that neurological and physiological development that's happening in utero is that ultrasound. Seeing that scan can easily just put so many things into into perspective. Have you noticed that that's part of establishing this bond and awareness of what is happening? I really have. 
I really have. I think it's such a powerful addition that uh, modern medicine has been able to bring that takes the fantasy baby into the real world. Mm. And um, yeah, for both parents, I think it's such a lovely opportunity for fathers to be present as well, right at the beginning to see the heartbeat and thereafter the 4D scan um, to really be able to identify features. Yes. The, the bonding process has always started prenatally, but I think having the ultrasound sort of augments that so much more. When we think of the challenges, when we think of neglect that can lead to a baby not developing optimally, it's easy to think of this problem existing and prevailing in poorer communities, rural communities or communities that have lower levels of education. And we have to free ourselves of of that myth. Do you find that the areas, the different parts of our society has varying awareness and varying problems or areas of that that are issues, say a Santon versus an Alexandra, for instance, because it's easy to locate this within only a lack of awareness around a thousand days within only poor communities. I totally agree with you. In my private practice, I see a lot of mums, dads and babies, particularly mums and babies that are very isolated, very socially isolated. And I've often called it the kind of the isolation of the six foot wall. And then in many ways in our suburban societies, we've lost a sense of the family, of the community and the part that the family and community plays in raising a child. And in that respect, Alex and Santon have got very different challenges, but make absolutely no mistake that the suffering happens in both places mm-hmm. and pleasure happens in both places. As we conclude, I'd like to focus on the lifelong impacts of toxic stress on a child, if we could cast our mind to later years when they're their own person, what might they look like if they if they grew up in those first 1,000 days with toxic stress? Azania, would you mind if I answered that question by answering the other side? Mm-hmm. So toxic stress has a whole range of consequences, but the converse of that is building of a secure attachment. And a baby that is able to develop a secure attachment within that first year and then cemented in first 1,000 days and later on, you will see that child. Those children will be able to explore. Those children will be school ready when it's time. Those children will be able to put up their hands if somebody is bullying them Mm. and go to a teacher or somebody in authority because they trust that their voices will be heard and that something will be done. Those children will be the ones that have had been able to take up the advantage of early childhood development education and that will be interested and curious about the, what the world has to offer. Those children will be the ones that will be able to say, no, I'm going to not put up with somebody who raises his hand against me or a father who will say, I'm not frightened to be involved in these activities that involve loving. Mm. It's a society, Azania, that we can dream of and aspire to and that's what this message is it's achievable it's achievable because if we can support families just in building ordinary trustworthy relationships with their young children that is where the beginnings of this society that we dream of comes from is in trusting relationships with our significant others yes the converse of that with early separations with traumas that aren't dealt with, 
with children witnessed to and involved in domestic violence. We see intergenerational repetition of violent relationships that unfortunately we are well aware of. Mm. We see school children that are not able to take up opportunities at school who are making poor choices in their relationships with their peers, who are looking for something out of an in deep internal hunger that might be found in promiscuity or in drug abuse mm. or in self-destructive behavior or criminal behavior. The antecedents of all of these are in one's beginnings. It's that powerful. It sounds indeed quite powerful. Is it possible to correct is it possible along the way in those early foundation years to correct what never happened in the one, first 1,000 days? It is possible, but after the first 1,000 days, it's remediation, it's needs and intervention, whereas the message of the first 1,000 days is it's a redirecting, it's just putting back on track. That's what's so powerful about the first 1,000 days is that the human brain, the human infant can recover very quickly. Mm. After that time, we can still recover, but it takes longer, a lot more work. And then again, there's an opportunity in adolescence. Right. But the message is that it's, you don't need a psychologist to be able to help you. Parents, most parents know how to parent. They might need to talk to a parenting group or they might need to really call on family or friends. And in situations, yeah, okay, ask for some help from a professional. But it's really in the hands of parents. Mm. My vision would be to see really to just have normal parenting support groups everywhere so that we can support parents in this critical task that they have of really Absolutely. helping us with our next generation. So if we can lay a great foundation, we don't have to do all the work of a remedial process. 100%. Thank you so much. And all of the best with the great work you're doing with Ububel. Thank you so much for having me. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and want additional must-know insights into maximizing your child's potential as they grow, then listen to our Discover Healthier podcast titled Raising Healthy Children and find out just how to deal with the host of challenges that threaten the health of a child growing up in today's world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discover Healthier, brought to you by Discovery Health. Join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Discover Healthier and tag at Discovery underscore SA. You can subscribe to our podcast channel, Discovery South Africa, on your favorite podcast app or visit discovery.co.za to listen to our shows.